Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 7. My name is Bradley Medrock. I'm CEO of Project Voice. We got a great panel for you today on the show. Don't forget about Project Voice 2023. We are uh, very well on track. Um, to surpass uh, attendance from three years ago, uh, which was the biggest year prior to COVID. Uh, we got a lot of news coming out about the Conversational AI Leadership Council. We spoke briefly about it last week. Uh, the charter, uh, that uh, the, the new Ethics and Integrity Charter on LLM-based AI is forthcoming, um, and there will be a lot of chatter around that. Uh, so keep an eye out. Uh, we'll have much more to say about that soon. Um, I want to give each panelist a chance to introduce themselves. Neiji, I'm going to start with you. Uh, tell us who you are. Tell us about PayTalk. Okay. Thanks a lot, Bradley. So my name is Neiji Tao. I am the founder and CEO of a conversational AI startup called PayTalk. So basically what PayTalk is, is there's 4 billion devices that have voice assistants like Alexa, Siri, Google, Google. And these devices are highly underutilized. So you can do say things like, oh, set the alarm or... Uh, what's the time or what's the weather? So what PayTalk does is that we give these devices superpowers so they become uber smart and able to do things like, hey, get me coffee every morning by 7 a.m. on your Alexa. Or you could say, hey, Siri, you know what? Write me an essay on the use of software in development or something like that. And it will do the GPT thing okay. as well. Oh, sorry, Siri, <laughs> you, you can hear that right now. So uh, what we do is that we bring in these capabilities to voice assistance, and we are very big on conversational AI and voice. Uh, we launched uh, PayTalk about a year ago, and we have uh, we are currently going into different spaces where conversational AI makes a lot of sense, like ticketing, travel, and all of that. We're based in Canada. At the same time, we are also in the US, in New York. And uh, Bradley, I think I, I would say that's where we, where we are. Hey, G, it's great to have you on the show, and you are based in Canada. A fact we will not hold against you. <laughs> thank you for uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, next up, we have Brian Rubin of Serence. Brian, say hello. Oh, hi everyone! Excited to be part of this panel, and I should uh, confess I'm also from Canada, although I'm from the worst part. <laughs> We're the best part. We're the one that, that produces electricity in Quebec. So, my name is Brian Rubin. I'm based in uh, Montreal. Uh, I, I'm a senior director and responsible for lab innovation and demos at Serence. Serence is a global conversational AI spe specified for the transport um, industry. Our technology is actually can be found in one out of every two cars worldwide. So if you drive a car, you probably use our technology on a daily basis. Um, we work with all the major car manufacturers, probably you won't be able to find a car manufacturer we don't work with, such as Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen, Toyota, Stellantis, Ford. We work also with some of the newer uh, EV uh, providers, such as VinFast, Neo, et cetera. Um, we, one thing that a lot of people aren't aware of about Serens is that we own our own uh, technology stack. We have our own automatic uh, speech recognizer, so our own ASR, homegrown, NLU, NLP, NLG, and TTS. So the entire stack is IP by Serence. So we don't use any Google or Azure or anything like that for the back end. And right now we're in an evolu in, in evolution from a voice, just a pure voice assistant to a full uh, immersive co-pilot experience. So that's about, about me and Serence. 
Ryan, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, Serence is a proud organization, an accomplished organization. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks for making the time. Next up, we've got Dan Church, Dan Turchin of People Rain. Dan, say hello. What's happening, Bradley? Good to be here. Great to have uh, you on the show. Rare. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Tell us, tell us all about People Rain. Well, for starters, this is it's a rare tech conversation where I have to start by saying I'm an outlier because I'm in Silicon Valley. What are you, what are you going to do? But uh, I, to CEO of People Rain, the AI platform that automates the delivery of IT and HR employee service. I started the company about five years ago. We are uh, we're on a mission to make work life better for the next billion employees, and we do that by extracting all the friction that exists between employees and their employers and making work delightful. And ironically, we do that using AI, but we use AI to humanize work, to make it easier for employees to spend an hour or two less per week waiting on hold, being treated like a ticket, and more time getting the work done that they love and that they're passionate about. Uh, Bradley, as you know, because you're a great guest on my podcast, uh, my passion project is uh, I host a podcast called AI and the Future of Work. We've done about 185 episodes with uh, with legends like Bradley. And uh, in terms of my background, uh, People Reign's the seventh company I've started in and around applying AI machine learning to employee service. Uh, bad news is I'm kind of broken for ever doing anything else, but uh, but it is a life's passion. And uh, look forward to getting to know the panelists better and uh, talking about the stories for today. Dan, we're grateful for you. Thanks for being part of Flattery. We'll get you everywhere. Thank you for that. Um, next up, we have Seth Levine of Loris. Seth, say hello. Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you, Brad. Really appreciate you inviting me here. Uh, I'm the lead machine learning scientist at Loris. Uh, we've developed a platform that allows CX teams, customer service teams to do their jobs better, basically. Uh, we identify the reasons every customer is contacting the company. Uh, we analyze sentiment throughout every conversation. And we then give companies the ability to take action from there. So we have an agent assist platform, insights, and QA. Uh, my role is keeping us on the cutting edge and applying machine learning and NLP to all of these conversations. The exciting thing is that at this point, you know, working there for a couple of years, we've analyzed millions of conversations across many different companies and industries from telecom to e-com to fintech and food delivery. Um, separately, I recently la launched a podcast of my own, <laughs> um, learning from machine learning, where I interview experts on machine learning and talk about their work, but also career advice and how technology is influencing society and, you know, some life lessons as well. Um, with all of this hype around artificial intelligence, I, I like to share that my background is also in, uh, human behavior and evolution. Um, I studied the evolution of intelligence. Um, so it's really great to be here. Thanks, Brad. <clears throat> it's great to have you on the show. It's great to have all four of y'all on the show. Just a great, great group of folks. So appreciate all of y'all. And with that, we'll get to the news. Story number one from Ars Technica, ChatGPT and Whisper APIs debut, allowing devs to integrate them into apps. 
So we've had some episodes of this show over the years. Um, you know, This Week in Voice started in 2017, which seems like an eon ago uh, in, in pandemic time. Um, we've had some episodes on this show where there's been some sort of bombshell thing that changed the way that we looked at everything going on. And that's kind of how this feels. We're going to go in the same order that we started with for the introduction. So, Neji, I'm going to start with you. Um, this is, uh, I know you've, you know, you've incorporated uh, elements of GPT into PayTalk. Um, I'm, I'm interested, though, just from a general point of view, your thoughts on what transpired with all of this yesterday and and how the story strikes you um <clears throat> thanks thanks Bradley in fact uh hearing about this yesterday uh made me smile because uh it sort of uh, validates what we we did actually about a month and a half ago at paytalk when we decided to integrate gpt with regular intense based conversational ai which we had built two years ago so uh, I'll just speak briefly about our own use case. So you could say, hey, suggest, uh, you can say, hey, Siri, suggest a meal plan for someone with diabetes. And it will generate the plan using GPT. And in this case, it can be chat GPT via open, OpenAI's integration. And you can tap, uh, it instantly, it's able to do a search across restaurants and grocery stores around you. And you can order immediately instantly on a button click those items which are suggested. So that way we're bringing conversational AI into uh, and GPT, and we're merging both both uh, intent-based uh, conversational AI with generative AI as well. So when I, when we saw that message uh, that uh, post yesterday, uh, my first thought was, "Wow, that's amazing!" Because we're hearing about even um, Snapchat uh, being able trying to integrate some sort of uh, uh, generative AI in, into Snapchat. We're seeing uh, use cases across the, the medical industry. We're seeing even law law firms now are thinking about how they can you know, simplify work and all that. And so having that API, I think it's a, a step further in democratizing generative AI. And it will improve, despite the fact that generative AI has its limitations and all, of course, you've heard of Bing Chat and all the things that's going on there, you know, but uh, I think opening this up actually would help uh, give it better scrutiny and will sort of make it easier for us to say, okay, you shouldn't be doing this or you should do that and all that. So I think it's a good idea to have uh, Whisper and um, uh, GPT 3.5 uh, out there now. Excellent. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you sharing some of that backstory. And uh, I'm going to ask all four of y'all the same question. Brian, I'm coming to you next. No. So this is a major story. Uh, you know, it feels major. It feels significant. Share with us your thoughts. So, yeah, I'll take it a bit to a different uh, perspective from a commercial perspective. So a few things that jumped up at me are like, 90% cost reduction that they're uh, going that they're advertising that that's very significant because that's been one of the uh, concerns with ChatGPT of the cost and the val valuable uh, aspect of ChatGPT because it's so cost um, heavy so they're able to reduce the cost by 90% that's great another thing that jumped up at me was the privacy consideration changes that they're that they're making to make sure that the end users will own their own data and the data isn't shared and you can control whatever you want. We know world today, very concerned with PII and stuff like that. So those two things came up at me. I'm very, very excited about this uh, Whisper and ChatGPT um, API integration. ChatGPT did have an API previously, but not with Whisper. Whisper gives you the capability of 
adding voice, which is also what our company is all about, voice. It adds the, the aspect of voice to the ChatGPT interface before it was just text-based. Now you can broaden it, just like Neji says, it democratizes the, uh, and makes it more available to, to other companies that may not have even thought of using voice and AI to bring that into their platform. So that's great. It helps promote the usage of the app, helps brought, um, spread the cost, spread the cost of, of the development because now they can share it in different uh, products and the different products can then pay for the for their share of the GPT um, processing. And that's actually very similar to what we do here at Serens where we build technology that is then sold to the OEM. It's possible that the OEM can, the car manufacturer can build the technology themselves, but in the end, the cost to build the technology just for a single OEM is probably not worth a while. So by us at Serens, building that uh, technology and then reselling it to different OEMs spreads the cost and makes it more very, very cost-effective. I think that's very similar to what ChatGPT are doing now, OpenAI trying to broaden their scope and get the value back for the real value that they bring with their AI solution. No, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, Dan, I'm going to ask you the same thing. Um, uh, you obviously look at this from a different perspective than Neji and Brian do, but same question. Big time story. Uh, your thoughts? My thoughts are that this is the biggest non-news I've heard in a long time for all of the amazing advancements that have hit the market since November when ChatGPT was launched. A vendor in this day and age announcing the availability of an API, kind of a yawner. In fact, you expect any piece of technology now to be built API first. Uh, we've been using the unauthorized API at PeopleRain for months. So it's not that uh, you know it hasn't been available programmatically. I think the more interesting bit of news here is the continued investment by OpenAI in the Whisper, uh, in the Whisper product. And the reason I say that is because I know Bradley, your show is all about voice and the future of voice. Well, you got to believe that the incumbents in voice are the ones who own the voice data, and that's the vendors of the voice assistant platform. So, to me, as a as a consumer of ChatGPT, as a vendor integrating with ChatGPT, I'd much rather them invest in NLP and in the underlying robustness of the ChatGPT model rather than try to uh, encroach on Amazon, Google, Apple, Microsoft territory, because I got to think that the winners in voice are going to be the ones who own all of that, uh, Just, I mean, massive, massive quantities of voice data. And that's probably not going to be the space where OpenAI ultimately wins. No, I, I agree with that uh, for the most part. You know, I, um, uh, it's interesting to hear your framing of, of the API. And, and I sort of buy that a little bit. Uh, but uh, there's parts of what you said I'm going to come back to. Seth, I'm going to go to you uh, and give you a chance to opine on this. Um, Big story in in my estimation, certainly in terms of number of people talking about it. Uh, your thoughts? So lots of thoughts uh, for ChatGPT when you're working in NLP. Um, I think when it came out um, in the end of 2022, I think it was just a matter of time for when it was going to be accessible um, as an API. What was amazing about chat GPT was that it wasn't an API, right? That it was an interface. 
because underneath it, it was the technology that was built, you know, in 2020. Yeah, I know that there were obviously, you know, technological advancements with Instruct GPT and then GPT 3.5, but it was the interface around it that got it to be hundreds of millions of users. So for me, from a developer standpoint, this is just a change of a line in a code, <laughs> right? Um, I'm just gonna, it's just, one, it's one little change. And also it's important to understand like, OpenAI is a company, um, you know, this is a lot of marketing stuff as well. Um, so they got the hype to be this frenzied state that we're in, and now they're monetizing. Um, what's exciting about it is that there is a 90% reduction in price, um, as Brian alluded to, uh, compared to GPT, DaVinci 003. Um, and they're also talked about some other things about having dedicated instances where developers can basically get a compute infrastructure and then, you know, you can kind of choose how you request, request it. That's something that's very exciting on an enterprise level. Um, some other things. Yeah. The privacy part was interesting, basically just confirming that they're using all of these inputs to improve their models. If you look at it the other way, right. But all in all, um, this is just part of the movement that's happening. And this is another step that's going to be making, you know, one state of the art uh, chat model more accessible to more people. So it's exciting in the NLP world. <clears throat> I have vivid memories of at the height of uh, Alexa. And, and then Google Assistant after it. Like there was there was a sequence of years, 2017 to 2019 or so, where preparing for this show required reading through about 20 different articles with 20 different pieces of information about Amazon Alexa to figure out what the one story or maybe two about Alexa worth including in that week's episode was. And we are right back to that with ChatGPT. So to prepare for this show right now, I had to read through, I mean, obviously the one we're talking about was the big one uh, from, from, you know, because it synthesized so many things. They actually didn't, did me a favor. They combined, you know, the uh, ChatGPT API with Whisper, with the cost reduction, with, there was like, four or five as y'all have noted four or five news stories in one kind of with this but uh the volume of noise uh set to your point just about the marketing is so loud and i you know i want to pose a question to y'all and, and whoever wants to answer it be my guest but there's there's been a thought with um silicon valley and with tech uh coming out of the pandemic that smaller is better so you've seen a lot of layoffs they've been completely unapologetic uh they've been um we have to right size or what insert corporate jargon here for what however you know for whatever different companies have decided to do and you look at you know in an extreme case like what twitter has done where elon musk has explicitly stated i'm going back to startup mode um, and uh, other companies have been much more uh, murky, uh, to put it politely, with how they've described it. 
Here, we're seeing a startup basically dictate terms to the market, saying, boom, 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 boom. Here's how it's going to be. And step on, you know, step right up and play ball um, in our universe. And Google is rushing, you know, to try to catch up and a bunch of other companies. My question for y'all is, is that the right assessment? Is OpenAI really dealing from a position of strength or did they just happen to be first and you're expecting three, four, five, six months from now that the conversation has shifted decidedly away from them and some other company or companies is in control of this? Anybody who wants to opine on this, be my guest. Neji, fire away. Uh, thanks, Bradley. Um, uh, you mentioned the Alexa. Uh, I think in the voice space, uh, we've had uh, two major events have happened in voice and voice AI space and conversational AI space. The first was the Alexa time, the Alexa moment when we had the Alexa launched. Uh, that was like such a big, big thing at that time. And the second is the op is the chat GPT <laughs> uh, release in November last year. So uh, what we're seeing today is just more or less like the, um, it's, I would say such a defining, the tech, the tech, the generative AI tech, it's such a defining moment for us in the sense that it really addresses uh, what people or what startups or what uh, tech should really be about, which is how useful is this tool. When Google launched, uh, Google launched and we stopped going to libraries to go find out or, or encyclopedias and the rest of them, we stopped that. Now we have uh, this OpenAI's chat GPT rolling out and I don't need to go Google search anything or I don't need to go, you know? So, so I think that appeal is what actually has put them in such a place of strength and given them uh, open AI uh, that much power. And I don't see this fizzling off going forward. So I see them actually being the, the new trailblazers and everyone else has just got to either follow or, or get left out on the way. Those are my two cents though. Yeah, no, that's great. Other thoughts. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm going to jump into this uh, meta L lama, whatever they call it, because it ties in exactly what you're saying. It ties in perfectly into that article that you you forward to us that was very, very interesting to me, which is, you know, Meta tried this generative AI back in August, 2022, and they were laughed at. They were, they were the laughing stock of the industry because when Mark Zuckerberg uh, showcased it, the first thing that he, he did was tell me about Mark Zuckerberg and the system came back saying Mark Zuckerberg is a manipulative bad person right? That there's an article. They had the same problem with their uh, generative uh, drawing where it drew like a small, really badly looking uh, Mark Zuckerberg next to a really bad Eiffel Tower. So they tried doing it and they got such bad backlash. One of my colleagues actually put a really nice perspective on this. OpenAI are successful and sort of, it seems as if dictating uh, to the market what to do because they're such a small company so if there is backlash, and there is some backlash with ChatGPT, people trying it out, we've seen it, uh, I think you discussed it also in the podcast last week, where there's backlash where ChatGPT is responding with some, let's say, non-politically correct or biased uh, perspectives. So OpenAI, because they're a small company, they don't need really need to worry about the evaluation. People just want the technology, like Neji said, they just want the technology. Let's see what we can do with it. But OpenAI doesn't need to worry about the backlash of the street. Whereas Facebook, Meta, Google, 
Look what happened with uh, Bard. They're getting bomb- bombasted. They're, they're they're getting killed by by the street because they're such big players. So it, for them to try doing the something like this is can can be disastrous. So that's what happened with Meta, and I think now Meta with his uh, Llama case, they're trying a new a new way of building the same exact thing, but in a more what they call responsible AI. So putting a spin on it, which I I applaud. It's very it's a good it's a good thing to do when when you fail to come back on the on the horse and try something new. That's actually what I do at Serens as uh, responsible for innovation. We try to fail fast. And just try something new right away. That's that's how we become successful. No, I think those are great comments. And and before we move on to story number two fully, Dan and Seth, I'll I'll put it to either one of y'all. Um, open AI for real? You know, are they going to just dictate terms from here on out, or or are we going to be talking about another company three to six months? Yeah, brother. We as a society love to hero make. And we love we love a David versus Goliath story, and whether it was uh, you know Chad and the YouTube guys in 2005 or this open AI thing is actually to me reminiscent of a couple of years ago. What happened with Zoom during the pandemic? There was just this cultural zeitgeist surrounding this technology. There were there were meeting uh, uh, remote meeting technologies for years, and they weren't called. Zoom, it was WebEx, and you know it was, it was not a new technology. WebEx was there a decade before Zoom, and yet David David slayed Goliath, and we all cheered it on, and it changed culture, it changed life. OpenAI, I think it's uh, it, it is one of those stories. It's a cultural moment that we're having. Just by comparison, Google, the Goliath has about one hundred ninety thousand employees. OpenAI to date has less than 400. So rough order of magnitude, Google's got 500x the team. And yet we're criticizing Bard because it spews a bunch of nonsense. It hallucinates and we're amazed. We're fascinated. We can't get enough of ChatGPT in part because it's a hero story, but in part because it captured the imagination of what incredible NLP can do. I don't think there's been an example of NLP that's so accessible and those of us who have been in the space, AI and specifically NLP for a while, um, just know how hard of a technological problem they solved. So when 400 people can slay 190,000 people, get a product to market that hallucinates, but it does it in a way that is um, more respectful and just captures the public imagination, that's a story we latch onto. And it's so it so transcends the technology and LLMs. It's become, you know, this uh, the, the the current version of the hero story that we uh, we love to amplify. I, I like that a lot, and uh, like all, I'm coming to you, Seth, in just a second. The uh, the like all hero stories, uh, give it time, and we make them the villain. You know, that's the other part of it. So if OpenAI sticks around, I uh, can't wait to see how we uh, ultimately decide to demonize them, Seth. I want to give you the last word on this important story. Number one, your thoughts, open AI, they sticking around, they for real, they a paper tiger, they'll be gone in three to six months. Your 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 opinion. Now, open AI is going to be here for a little bit. <clears throat> they have some extremely, to say extremely smart minds, that would be an understatement. Um, you know, some of the people that are working on chat GPT are the you know, pioneers in reinforcement learning, the pioneers that are back in the AlexNet paper in 2012. Um, so, 
But I think a key thing is that yes, it's you know it's it's four hundred person company, but they are, you know, deeply um, they have deep resources, right? So they have Microsoft on their side. They've had it before this ten billion dollars, right? And training these models on a huge corpus of data takes unbelievable amount of resources. I can't do that, you know, right? A single person can't do that. You need millions, of, you know, millions of dollars, tons of compute resources. But just off the top of my head, I mean, I, I did a quick little search. OpenAI is in a competitive market, right? Obviously, there's Hugging Face, which is giving access to tons of models, Anthropic, Jurassic, Cohere. Um, DeepMind, which is you know outside of um, Google, but DeepMind has is going to have an unbelievable uh, language model and multimodal model coming very soon. Um, and also, you know, obviously, what we're going to be talking about next, Facebook, they, they've got a great one too. And one other thing that I just want to say: sometimes there's a lot of luck, um, you know, and the timing of it, right? When is the world ready for these types of things? At, when it comes to technology, right? Like Apple tried. Newton, and it failed, <laughs> right? Think about Palm Pilot. That was just like ahead of its time. Um, sometimes it's it's when it when is the world ready to accept these things? This happens to be that time. This 2023 with ChatGPT. That's what captured the imagination of people. That's what got hundreds of millions of people to use it. That's what gets my mom to ask me about ChatGPT. Two years ago, no one cared about it, right? Now, now my aunt's asking me how to use ChatGPT. So those comments are great all the way around, and I appreciate that. So I, I've told people privately this. So we're we're assembling this conversational AI leadership council for late April at Project Voice 2023, and the purpose of this council will be to sign uh, the new ethics and integrity charter, putting philosophical guardrails around LLM-based AI. So I've been around for a while in this space, and when I tell people about what it is that we do with Project Voice or what I'm thinking about or working on, you know, I would say prior to uh, the pandemic, uh, there was about a 20% chance that somebody would like show enthusiasm or have any idea what I'm talking about. 80% chance of, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, in the pandemic, that increased to about 50-50, a coin flips chance if I'm talking to a random person. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Yeah, some voice stuff or Alexa or like the contact center, we're using that at work. So it was it, it was on the way up. Now, as of the last couple of months, I'm having a conversation with say a digital transformation executive at insert company name here who is looking to make some investments in the space or somebody who's not thinking about this, not a subject matter expert, but they're involved with technology enough or they're just sort of interested in the world, sign me up. I'm coming to that immediately. Say no more. And then I was telling someone this yesterday, uh, there's been some situations where I've told somebody they can be part of it. And then I just got busy and I didn't follow up when I told them I would. They're pinging me every day. Where Where is my confirmation of this? Um, and they really want to be part. The hunger is so real for this thing, um, not only to use it, but to make sure it's used responsibly. It just echoes all of y'all's comments that, yeah, this is probably sticking around. And so that's my sense on this too. Uh, but it does tie in with our story number two. I'm going to go in the reverse order for this, by the way. I'm going to read the headline. This is from VoiceBot. 
Meta introduces large language model Llama as a competitor for OpenAI. And Seth, I'm going to start with you and go in reverse order. My question for you is simple. We've talked about Facebook. I've refused to call them Meta. I'm never calling them that. But we, we've talked about uh, Facebook on this show. And similarly, I'm not, I'm not ever referring to it as hallucinations. We call these errors, okay? Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, we talked about Facebook a lot in this show over the years. And usually the stories orbit the incredible distrust associated with that organization, so much so that, yes, they changed the name for the metaverse or whatever, but don't don't kid yourself, they were looking to rebrand anyway. It, my question for you in the panel, can Facebook participate in this LLM-based AI world, um, given that the level of distrust of that company is so high? Your thoughts? Man, what a loaded question. Um, let me start off. Can I address the hallucinations versus errors? Can, Be can my I guess? Oh, okay, great. So, you know, with these models, these are generative models that we're talking about when we talk about chat GPT. Um, and they are trained on a task where we're trying to predict the next word in a sequence. And it's very interesting. It's like a, it's a little bit different than other types of AI, like predictive modeling, where you're given, let's say, like text categorization, and you're given a certain piece of text and you want to categorize it, and you might categorize it in the wrong category. So that that's that's what I view as an error. For generative models, right? You're producing text. You're using you know statistical, uh, you know how often words are used together, and it will sort of it does hallucinate i actually like that word <laughs> because it's creating facts and putting things together in its mind that don't it sorry not its mind that's putting it together that don't actually exist that don't actually exist so I, I actually like the term hallucinate um but yeah so no no problem no beef there you know what i mean it's, <laughs> it's a, i don't like it from the corporate marketing slant of it you know yeah there's some truth to it it's a very benevolent phrase to use uh, i would say so so let me make sure i got your answer to the original question oh no i'll get back is, into is, it is facebook going to be able to participate meaningfully in this new world so i mean i think that parts of facebook it's hard right it's a business and they're trying they're trying to make money but fair right facebook ai and responsibility um, you hope that they are doing, you know, the, the right things, um, you know, with Jan LeCun at the helm, you know, I, 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 I mean, I, I like the work that he produces. One nice thing about Llama, um, they did a good job of making the data sets not using proprietary data sets, right? So using data sets that anyone could, that anyone has access to. That's one of the criticisms of ChatGPT and some of these other models is that if you wanted to start from scratch, you don't have access to that. So making the data open is very, is very important and that they're releasing it to the research world, right? So researchers are going to be able to go inside. They're going to be able to take a look at what makes it tick. 
The thing right now about ChatGPT is that it's not open source. You know, don't be fooled by open AI in the name of their company. They, they are, they, it is not open source. You cannot go, you cannot look and see what it's like. You know, with the API being open, you might be able to see some more things. You can find out a little bit about their chat markup language and things. But the nice thing about Llama is that um, they have an open data set. Uh, it's accessible. It's open source. It's for research. And it's outperforming GPT-3. That actually doesn't surprise me that much. There's tons of models that outperform GPT-3 that are much smaller. So like sentence transformers um, crushes it. So yeah, um, I, I, I think it's possible as long as it doesn't get too intertwined with business. A little long-winded, but thanks for letting me no, go into no, it. That's that's uh, that's great. Um, so so that's a that's a decided vote for yes, Dan. I'm coming to you. Same question. Um, Facebook has a lot of baggage. Uh, you see the article; they're doing some cool stuff. Will they be a meaningful participant in this LLM-based world? Well, first off, this absolutely does not restore the public's faith in Facebook as a good steward of our data. Uh, I think that uh, that ship sailed a long time ago. I find the, the, the irony here that, uh, that they're taking the high road, you know, talking about uh, you know, exercising responsible AI, offering Llama, but only to nonprofits and, and academic institutions. They're the ones that like 90 days ago launched Galactica, the LLM that famously bombed out after like 24 hours. It was literally like Meta Facebook's K moment, Microsoft from a couple of years ago. So now... You know, to say, uh, you know, unlike Bard, unlike, you know, various other LLMs, we're going to be very cautious uh, is just it, it's comical. And I, I get it. It's it is responsible, more responsible than, than what we, they did with Galactica. But they got a long way to go before they're going to live down the reputation of not being good stewards of your data and uh, and, and the you know, responsible exercising responsible AI. Uh, I'm I'm on that I'm on that train. Um, it uh, they're they they got they have a lot of past sins to pay for, as far as I'm concerned. And Brian, so you've heard so you've heard one yes, um, you've heard uh, another uh, Dan. I'll call you a, a a maybe. I'll put you put I'll put you in the maybe box. Maybe. I'll give me a no. Okay, I'll, okay, we'll call it a no. Brian, uh, interesting story. You've heard the comments. Your thoughts? I, I would echo word for word exactly what Dan said. But let me add a bit more uh, to, to that uh, perspective. So whenever I hear about a company trying to create some new technology or emulate technology when there's a successful technology in the market. So we know ChatGPT is open AI's ChatGPT is very successful right now. So all these big companies are trying to jump on the bandwagon and create their own uh, solution. Whenever I hear that, it reminds me of the early, well, early 2010s. I was probably the only person in my city who owned a Zune, a Microsoft Zune. I wonder who, who here knows what a Microsoft Zune is. So the iPod was such a success. Now, Microsoft saw it. Microsoft is huge. Even, even compared to Google, they're huge, right? And they came up with this idea of let's create our own Zoom. So I went and bought one. Guess what? It was really, really cool. It was a really, really cool device, but nobody bought into it because the iPod was so successful. So now my question is, if I'm an investor and I want to invest in Meta Facebook, 
are they going to be as successful as OpenAI? Can they emulate it? Can they draw people away from OpenAI to use their, their software? And I'll go back to a bit what Seth and Dan said. So Seth said timing the market is very, very important. I don't know if Meta timed the market correctly. They should have done it earlier. And they already, and now going into what Dan said, they already bombed. They already created such such uh, a, a animosity against them that I don't know if people will actually buy into this responsible AI and um, and uh, research based. Although I do like the fact that they're actually open open source and not like open AI completely closed. And going back to another thing that Dan said about uh, David versus Goliath, I'm not. Terence is very similar. We we also try to get into the vehicle. We cater, we work with the OEM. We're we're not a small company, but we're no by no means Google or Amazon who are also trying to get into the space. The nice thing when you have when you're smaller, you're much more agile and you can customize your software much easier. Whereas as a big corporation, there's a lot more bureaucracy, a lot more investment needed. I just heard that Amazon. Going back to what you said about layoffs and stuff like that, Amazon laid off a big portion of their voice team. So as smaller companies, we are more agile. We can we can um, time the market correctly and adjust. Whereas these big, big companies, they just come up with big buzzwords. But is there really something behind it? If I were an investor, I would say no, there's not much there. No, I, I I think those are great comments as well. So we got one yes and two no's, Niji. Um, so you, you'll either tie this thing up or, or, or shift it decidedly in one way, uh, over the other, your thoughts on Facebook and LLM, uh, AI. Okay. Um, uh, I hate to break your heart, uh, Bradley, but, uh, my answer is actually yes and a no. So whichever way I'm, uh, I'm not breaking the tie, but, uh, I'll start with the yes. Um, Facebook has some of the, like, of course, you know, Jan LeCun is a pioneer in uh, the space. So we have, we have some of the brightest, um, minds also working on AI uh, within their team. And I see them actually playing a role in improving LLMs. So I, LLMs were still at the early days as far as I, I know. And so there's still a lot of improvement. So we can see on a technical perspective, we can see that we might see, we will see a lot of progress coming in from there and advancements coming from their side. But so that's where the yes comes from. Now on the no side, on a business perspective, oof, I don't know. Because um, there's already a conversation around, hey, do not put sensitive information when you're talking to ChatGPT. Do not put proprietary information. Companies are scared. I think yesterday, is it Walmart or so, put out something to say, hey, uh, please do not put in sensitive company-based info in ChatGPT because it's learning off that. So think about it. Like already Facebook with its, or Meta with its reputation about being a data, you know, I don't want to say the word, but you can think about how people, how the reaction would be. So that's where, my, that's where I say, no, I don't see them in the near term on the business or the, on the non-technical side. I don't see that. I don't see any, any way for headway for them in that, on that angle, but on the technical side, yes. No to be. So thank you for that answer. So you, you have a bright future in politics, I might add. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes and no. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, no, that's great. The comments, comments are great. And, uh, you know, Facebook, um, I guess this means we're going to have to keep talking about them on this show. I, we had a period where we didn't talk about them for like a whole season and, uh, that wasn't so bad, but, uh, you know, don't forget, this is the company, you know, that, um, 
my favorite Facebook story is that they, I forget when it was, it was like a couple of years ago. Um, I don't remember if it was during the pandemic or right before where it, news came out that they have an entire staff of people that uh, basically patrol Facebook for content. And they see so much pornographic and violent content that they need therapy for a long time, like during the employment and then after it. And this is, these are just Facebook's, you know, human casualties, basically. Like, my, as if I didn't have a negative perception about the company before that, that made me have one for sure. I Y'all might know when the story was. It was year, a couple, two or three years ago. But uh, th that's the DNA of the company that we're talking about, about here. Um, so uh, I, I am definitely in the no uh, category on this one myself. Appreciate the comments. I want to give us a little bit of time for story three, and I'm going to read this uh, out loud. This is from Vice. I had an AI chatbot write my eulogy. It was very weird. <laughs> so this, uh, we're we're back to on this show ending with uh, a funny or bizarre story, which I really like to do. Um, you know, there was years where we had uh, different things that people dreamed up to tell Alexa, which were uh, extremely strange. And now we're we're with some of that with with chatbots in this particular case. Um, I, I want to start with, uh, I want to give all four of you a chance to, to uh, opine on this. I, I guess I'll go in the original order. And, and so Neji, Brian, Dan, and then Seth, I'll conclude with you. Um, Neji, this is a weird one, uh, but it's a sign of the times. Uh, <laughs> your your thoughts on this piece? Uh, first question was, uh, when I read that, I was like, why would you ask this thing to write your, your eulogy? And I was like, okay, uh, it tells you just how much people are invested in trying to uh, understand uh, the usage of this thing and its uh, potential use cases that beyond even what probably the, the creators thought of. Uh, like what we did at Paytop was put the GPT on Siri. So you can go, hey, Siri, write me this and that. Hey, Siri, do that. So, but um, in this instance, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't say the person who tried that was crazy, but I think that's a crazy use case because uh, how much does the the AI, how much does it know about you? Like more or less, you know? So uh, I think I think people should chill. Like, come on, like uh, chat GPT wouldn't do everything. It's not going to, um, <laughs> it's not going to tell you about your mom or history or something like that. So I think uh, it's just one of those use cases where uh, probably the person was testing out the button and trying to see how much, uh, uh, how well it could it could perform. It's, it's a pretty human task to write a eulogy, right? Like, I agree. Like, that's, it's uh, testing the boundaries here. Brian, I'm coming to you. Weird story, but like I said, sign of the times, your thoughts. Well, so, so this story is coming from Vice, right? So first, I'm, I applaud that they got uh, the sense of how AI works, how ChatGPT works very correctly, very accurately. And now, actually, in in the political sphere, I, I won't go too political here, but in the politically in the political sphere of North America, there's this whole uh, idea of equity and equality, right? So, if we're talking about equity, this AI generative um, text is promoting equity because, for example, I've been unfortunately over the past couple of years in several funerals, so we'll take it directly to the eulogy and then go away from there. I've been to funerals, and unfortunately, sometimes the priest, the rabbi, the imam, they, they don't know the person that they're eulogizing. 
So they come up with some pieces exactly like this, this person did and come up with a generative uh, eulogy. So now anyone can do it. If you don't know how to speak, if you're not very uh, affluent, if, if you don't know how to phrase your uh, thoughts, you can have ChatGPT phrase them for you. Equity all across the board. It's great. It's it's promoting ac accessibility to things that no one has ever thought be, that you would be able to do. Now, if we take that a bit away from the eulogy perspective, books, music. Today, nowadays, music. I don't know if how many of you like uh, current pop. I keep on telling my children that in ten years from now, no one's going to listen to any of this music because they'll figure out that it's crap. Most of this music today, not all of it by no means, but most of the music generated today is generated based off of what they think people will like, what combination of chords that actually goes back to the guy who was on your show last week, who was a musician, I'm taking away from his thunder. Uh, they keep on compiling. So it's compiling the music rather than writing real music. So they just put chords together that would sound pleasing to the ear, but it's not really real art. I wouldn't call it art. There's a guy, a guy on YouTube called Rick Beato who shreds all this new music to, to pieces. And the same thing with books. You have, uh, let's say, Robert Ludlum. If you've read the, Bor the Born series, after book three, it's no longer Robert Ludlum. Someone's trying to emulate it, and it's just not the same. So, so the fact that ChatGPT produces text that seems to be curated, it might be pleasing to some people. If you really want something higher higher definition yes you need to customize it you need someone a professional to do it properly very similar again again to what we do at Serens. so you if you want the google assistant if you want to use your android auto or your apple carplay and have the same flavor of, of system regardless which car you go into go ahead and use it but most oems most car manufacturers want to have a special uh, experience that's how they sell the car i want a ford i don't want a dodge I want a BMW, I don't want a Mercedes because of the experience. So if you want to customize your experience, you have to come to a company like Serens so you can customize it rather than going to Google or Amazon using this big platform. No, I, I think that your comments on that are really interesting, uh, just to tie it back to equity and uh, what you said about that. I had not thought about it in any way. So I thought that, that, that uh, that's really well taken. Dan, uh, your thoughts, and then Seth, I'll give you the last word. Uh, interesting story. Uh, what do you think? Uh, first and foremost, I applaud Janice Rose, who not only published this article, but has recently been doing some really laudable reporting, exposing how these LLMs actually work. So kind of eulogy, you know, parlor trick thing aside, it's a reminder that what these models do is apply math and some stats to a lot of data to, as Seth uh, discussed earlier, predict the next word in a sentence. And turns out that's it, it's a really significant engineering challenge, but that's what it's doing. So nobody should be shocked when it basically, you know, regurgitates back some derived version of information about, you know, uh, you know, Janice pretending to be dead. Uh, she published another article recently with a about a researcher named Sasha Lucioni from Hugging Face, who developed a model that exposes bias in uh, Dolly 2, so image generation. So I, I'm, I'm really glad that somebody's out there, not just kind of like we're all, you know, just genuflecting to chat GPT, but actually educating the public about the way it works so that we can kind of understand what the appropriate bounds are, when to trust it, what it's good for, what it's not good for. So 
that that was my takeaway. Janice, you go, girl. Come on my podcast, right? If you're listening to this. I'll be copying her on the LinkedIn post. Uh, so, uh, yeah, hopefully she sees this. Seth, uh, the last word is yours. Uh, your thoughts on this piece. Yeah, this was definitely a, a really interesting piece. Um, AI generating and then humans consuming is such an interesting idea, right? Like, she writes, none of my friends or family members would ever dare memorialize me with writing something that was so anesthetic and faux sentimental, <clears throat> right? So like GPT can create something that looks a lot like a eulogy, but it doesn't, it doesn't know the person. Um, and Brian, you bring up something that I've been thinking about too with like pop music, right? Sometimes you think about it like it's a machine right like that it's just going through the same machine all these sound, all these songs sound the same obviously there's exceptions to the rule but there are certain formulas that people follow you know they say there's these four chords that almost every song that's on the radio can can be uh distilled down to um for me it's 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 this other aspect to it it's how humans and machines are interacting so when it when it comes to music let's say I, I, I'm not that impressed that it's impressive, obviously, that AI can make a song and write lyrics and have a great melody progression and all that. But that's not what brings you to the concert, right? It's watching the human emote, <laughs> right? Believing them and, you know, seeing that emote, seeing the emotion. Um, and it, it, it's an interesting, you know, we're, we're moving in a really interesting direction of humans plus AI right for for all of these things when it comes to you know writing a eulogy no don't take the output and publish that right but when you want to outline for your essay sure you know that that can that can help you along um you know in the medical field for example who's the best person to do the surgery on you is it like is it the best doctor is it the best machine no it's the best doctor guided by the machine with using all of the outputs of, of of AI and and machine learning. Um so at, at Loris, what, what we do is a lot of that too, because we're dealing with people who are very upset and then how you know customer service agents should respond to them. And that's 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 our motto basically. It's like machines aren't going to replace humans. It's going to be humans that are augmented by machines that are using the sort of these superpowers. Um and yeah, it's 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 exciting to see how we're going to continue to consume the information that's created by um by by these generative models. Like I know last week there was talking about like books that were being created by uh GPT-3 and it's like, well, are they any good? <laughs> are they worth reading? And same thing with these songs, same things with these eulogies. But one thing that's very interesting with these GPT, with these uh, models is, have you ever like brainstormed with it? You know, going like back and forth. That's when you really get the most out of it. When you have that, when you have that back and forth. And also the creativity, don't just think of it as it's just the, it's just the machine doing it on its own. Remember there's the prompt that had to go into it too. And there's creativity that's based around that. And I think that that's where a lot of the research is going and will continue to go. That's a great place to leave it. Uh, great comments all the way around. Uh, just to keep us on time, we'll we'll call it there. I, I will throw in that uh, my my alma mater, who I'm going to leave nameless for the purpose of this podcast, 
uh, made news recently, a couple weeks ago, from uh, putting out a press release that was a response to a terrorist. Uh, there was a shooting, a mass shooting somewhere, uh, Oklahoma, or I think is the one they were responding to. And the entire press release is written by ChatGPT. And uh, when somebody figured that out, uh, they had a lot of blowback. Then they had to issue another press release about the press release that they issued, apologizing for the previous press release. It was a disaster. It was a sign of the times. And I think a good punctuation mark on uh, this story as well as this conversation. Gentlemen, thank you for the time. Thank you for sharing your expertise uh, with not just me, uh, but with the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. For This Week in Voice, Season 8, Episode 7. Thank you for listening. If you're on your podcast provider of choice, thank you for watching. If you're watching us on YouTube, until next time.